Episode 8. The most artistic thing in life is to love. Patricia Eileen. Number 10. Not just a number. When mother went into labor for her 10th child, Dr. Henderson, her OBGYN, was out to a movie and wasn't on hand at first. An intern was in charge. But suddenly, Dr. Henderson was there and in command. Mother said she felt so much better when she heard his voice. Patricia Eileen was born on September 29, 1949. Mother remarked that the dearest, sweetest, curly-haired, blonde baby girl joyfully entered their world. Mother was really getting to know the nurses at Eastside General quite well, and they festooned Patricia with special bows. Mother said that baby Patricia never screamed or carried on. She was nothing but a delight. Mother said she thought something was awry or maybe she was an unfit mother because none of the first nine children slept through the night until they were at least four or five months old. However, Patricia Eileen slept through the night at two months old. Praise God. What a treasure. Patricia was soon to become the Shirley Temple of Eastside Detroit. And the most crackers in my soup. Hey, forget just the east side of Detroit. The state of Michigan, minimally. Seriously, Patricia had these bouncy golden curls, these twinkling blue-blue eyes, and a poochy, squeezable body. Mother said that as soon as our father came home from one of his several jobs, he would run into the house as quickly as he could to find Patricia, pick her up, and squeeze her. He was completely smitten. Mother did admit that she was a bit jealous of this living baby doll. Patricia attended St. Catherine's School on the east side of Detroit. When our father became organist and choir master at Holy Name Church in Birmingham, Patricia attended Holy Name Catholic School. She was an excellent student with an inquisitive, ever-searching mind. Patricia followed Anne, number nine, to Marion, an all-girls Catholic high school, and was the second of six of my sisters to graduate from there. Patricia, also known to her friends as Pat or Tricia, was always super popular, especially at Marion High School, where she was elected president of both her junior and senior class. What an honor. What an endorsement. She had obvious leadership skills, and everyone just loved her. She was athletic, artistic, and frankly, a complete blast. She had this buoyant spirit and a joyful countenance. After graduating from Marion High School in 1967, Patricia went to Marygrove College and would be the fourth of six daughters to attend and graduate from there. Patricia was artistically gifted, so it was a natural for her to major in art. During Patricia's junior year on May 4, 1970, Members of the Ohio National Guard shot and killed four Kent State University students who were protesting the Vietnam War. They wounded nine other student protesters. It 
was a shock, and it rocked Patricia's soul. Patricia loved listening to music while she did her art. She especially loved Aaron Copeland and his composition of Appalachian Spring. So, she turned to creating her works of art, and they brought her, and us, great solace. Although Patricia always pursued her passion for art, after graduation from Marygrove, she worked for the city of Detroit and their Keep Detroit Beautiful project. She continued her studies of art at the Center for Creative Studies. She was the eternal student, always thirsty to learn and discover more and more. After her Keep Detroit Beautiful gig, she worked for the Detroit Free Press. I remember she really enjoyed taking Woodward Avenue and loved timing the lights just right to make her commute a timelier one. Patricia was a deep well and was very, very close to our sister Anne, number nine, who was just a year older. When Anne died, it broke her heart. Please listen to Megan, Patricia's daughter-in-law, whom she loved dearly, narrate a letter Patricia wrote to our grandfather, Big Paul, not long after our sister Anne died. Dearest Big Paul, a special happy Valentine's Day to you. We all wish that you lived closer so we could see and be with you on the day that celebrates love. Mike and Michael John are doing great. Michael John will be six months on the 25th. It's hard to believe. He's a beautiful baby, looks just like his dad. He is very smart and good-natured. He smiles all the time. We are so blessed. We all miss Anne so very much, Big Paul, and are trying to pick up the pieces. It takes a tremendous faith in God's will. Mom seems better, Dad too. We all can't wait till spring comes. You take care of yourself and keep us in your prayers. A special hi to Aunt Anne and Aunt Helen. God bless, Trisha. Patricia then taught art at the National Shrine of the Little Flower Catholic High School. She loved nurturing their budding artists. For years, our family hosted an annual St. Patty celebration, where we would get together and party while raising funds for the Southfield Madrigal Chorale's Brian Callahan Memorial Scholarship. Every year, Patricia worked diligently and donated her gorgeous artwork to our silent auction. There was always a wrangle over who would end up getting her work. Patricia's central work life was at Beaumont Hospital, where she worked for over 30 years. Dr. Gelpin was a renowned and beloved pediatrician who left private practice to work at the Center for Human Development at Beaumont Hospital. Patricia was hired to be his administrative assistant. She would take his research notes and create slides for his presentations. Her format and execution lent an organized and artistic way to present Dr. Galpin's new discoveries. She and Dr. Galpin became very close. Theirs was a mutual admiration society. Together, they made an impressive left brain, 
right brain team. When Dr. Galpin retired, Patricia became the executive assistant to Margaret Cooney Casey, the president of the Beaumont Foundation. Margaret Cooney Casey so trusted Patricia and her artistic taste that she happily gave her the assignment to pick out all of the artwork for the new offices. So, when Patricia went to the art gallery, they insisted that Patricia pick out a piece of art for herself. She specifically picked a non-religious abstract piece. More on that later. Yes, Patricia was indeed a gifted artist whose medium was lithographs. She specialized in works with religious themes, often receiving inspiration from the Psalms. In addition, she created stunning landscapes and still lifes. However, her two greatest works of art were her two beautiful boys, Michael John, grandchild number 36, born on August 25, 1980, and Daniel Patrick, Danny, grandchild number 43, born on July 27, 1983. Although she did not see it coming, Patricia and their father Mike divorced. It was a blow, but the truth is that Mike and Danny were the loves of her life. I remember her joyfully describing her boy's births. I never met a woman who did not at least mention at least one labor pain. No, she described the awe and miracle of it all. Anytime Patricia spoke of Mikey or Danny, she would have a true glow about her. She was born to be a mother, and she was a devoted one who would do anything for her sons, and I mean anything. She attended countless baseball and football games and was the proudest fan and cheerleader of her boys on and off the field. Now, let's listen to Patricia's eldest son, Michael, known as Mikey, narrate a tribute his mother wrote to our parents, the gift of values. There's a sign that hangs in my pediatrician's office that states something like the following. In giving your children everything your parents didn't give you, be sure to include everything that they did give you. At my parents' 50th wedding anniversary, I'd like to take account of all that they've given me and simply thank them for it. Above all, my parents have given me a value system unpopular today. Faith in God, a daily trust that takes the form of really turning it all over to His will, His care, His tenderness, patience as far as what might be in store, the knowledge that God really does love each of us, the experience that we are all children of God in the end, a real interest in the humorous and lighthearted, not the kind of humor or laughter that is sarcastic or that takes pleasure in ridicule, but the kind that heals, teases, truly pulls together and uplifts the impossible. A need to celebrate birthdays, holidays, sacraments, anniversaries, or anything that could just be fun. A deep love of the arts and of human expression. In particular, a passion for music. Music of all sorts, a main spoke in our family wheel. The importance of prayer to help begin, nurture, and grow in a relationship with God. Private prayer, public prayer, sung prayer, 
active prayer, meditative prayer, expressive prayer, a love of children and the childlike. A child's face has to be very close to what God's face is like. A childlike attitude is a place or attitude where the mystery of life is experienced in all its possibilities, its wonders, its greatness. Being childlike is God's perspective on love. Children are a gift from God. My parents have also given me invaluable example. Their example has taught me that a past, a present, and a future of happiness and peace does not belong to the faint of heart. That giving 100% is worth it. That hard work, high energy without being driven can only keep one very young. That if you involve yourself with that with which you love and whom you love, your energies are bound to be prolific, are bound to create, are bound to make things happen. They have taught me what in life is and what isn't worth getting upset about. That teaching and learning and the many forms that it may take is a wonderful way to share what you love and value and a wonderful place to learn much from others. All to keep you growing. Whether you're teaching or learning from your children, whether you're teaching or learning in a classroom, whether administrating or being administered to, whether filling a true or practical need or in simply needing others or in just helping. And that the most effective way to teach or to learn is to individualize the effort. That family is a gift of God. Above all, that a deep and tenacious love of God is necessary to be alive. And the realization that our spiritual life, our spiritual side, has to have importance and is a top priority and needs our constant energy, work, humor, expression, faith, celebration, prayer, childlike attitude, courage, openness, and commitment. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for all of this. For you, Patricia. Now, let's listen to Danny, a poet himself, read a poem Patricia wrote. Keepers of the Ground Our children are whole in person, and all four in season, like an autumn day, colorful, sassy, red generously yellow of heart, warm and brown in response, a balmy life-giving breeze, like a tender and soft light, nostalgic because there is a leaving behind to go forward, like a winter day, crisp and sharp of mind and curiosity, long-lasting in their search to understand the world, again and again, over and over, Keen and whipping in intelligence. Not really barren, just a taking it all in, awaiting the bloom. Like a spring day, radiating hope, enthusiastic beginnings, a big appetite for any new, large and small detail. A multicolored, each one unique plumage, with some mud puddled moments, winged birds, busy bees, a bloom is a bloom, is a bloom. Confident about winters now, and like a summer's day, wind full sail now, with full speed ahead attitudes, with inner room to roam, to be, to enjoy. Soft, sandy, well-handled, many mild beaches, in full bloom, never to be picked, but always to savor, respect, 
love and learn from. Parents and teachers and those who witness these seasons are also whole in person and men and women for all seasons. Keepers of the Ground, Patricia. Yes, Patricia was a spectacular mother and she was a loyal, loving sister, sister-in-law, daughter, aunt, and friend. One day, Patricia feels a strange lump at the back of her neck. She was visiting Claire and became teary when she showed Claire the sizable lump and admitted that she was quite unnerved. She went to the doctor. They did a biopsy. Shockingly, she was diagnosed with lung cancer in October of 2005. She felt such guilt because she had been a smoker and she did not want any part of taking something from her precious sons. Her greatest concerns were her boys and our father. She wanted to protect them and him from any pain. That was our sister Patricia. She was so fierce in her loyalty that she was more concerned about her loved ones than her own battle that lay ahead. Did she fight? Did she ever. After fighting, fighting for over a year with radiation and chemotherapy treatments, Patricia met with her oncologist. Our sister Claire went with her for that visit. Sadly, the doctor said there was nothing more they could do, that it was time to get her affairs in order. She had only about three months to live. With Patricia's initial diagnosis, I remember attempting to attend daily Mass to pray for her, imploring the Holy Spirit to heal her. One morning after Patricia was given the dreaded get-your-affairs-in-order directive, I had this intense premonition. I went to Mass, and afterwards I went up to the celebrant, Father Eugene Simon, who happened to be a dear family friend. I shared with him that I had this overwhelming, intense, and urgent need to have him accompany me to visit Patricia. He agreed, and we immediately went to her son Michael's home where Patricia had begun hospice five days earlier. The hospice nurse said that Patricia had at least a couple of weeks. Father came in, gave her the anointing, prayed over her, and said, Patricia, you are a child of God. All your sins are forgiven. Patricia felt such peace. She died an hour later. We were stunned. We thought that we would have at least weeks with her, not hours. Patricia Eileen died on November 8, 2006. She was 57 years old. Her boys, my sisters Bridget, Claire, and I were with Patricia when she died. Oh, I remember going with Bridget to tell our father the brutal news. Bridget ran ahead of me, ran into the living room, dropped to her knees, hugged our father, putting her head in his lap, and was wailing, saying, Dad, Patricia is gone. 
Where would we be without our faith? Thank you. Thank you for giving us our faith. The world became less joyful, less beautiful when Patricia left it. Another branch falls from the family tree. Our Patricia Eileen, number 10. Her belly laughs are only a heartbeat away. Her artwork, always nearby. Her boys, so much like her, a constant comfort. I sometimes feel that great cloud of witnesses close by, and I know that I know that I know that she is among them. Listen to my dear siblings and their memories of Patricia Eileen, number 10, not just a number. John, number two. She's an artist. She had the, she's one of those people that felt everything, you know, and it was, it was very hard on her. Paul, number three. Because she was dad's favorite. Mom hated that. She was gorgeous. She was religious, too. Mm-hmm, she very, was a very spiritual person. Deep. Very, very spiritual. She was down in the basement, cut her arm. That was very traumatic for everybody. She was such a joy. Yeah. There was nothing mean about her. She was a lover. She had a lot of integrity. A lot of, you know, she, her way or the highway kind of thing, but it was all based on morals. James P., number four. Patricia Eileen, I'm the blonde, is what she was quoted as saying as a very young girl, and would people would come over to the house uh, to visit. Uh, she would introduce herself as, I'm the blonde, and she certainly was. Uh, Patricia was an artist, uh, a teacher. She was loyal to a fault, and I can't count the number of Sundays she joined me when we would trek over to the east side of Detroit with Jimmy, Johnny, and Therese uh, to visit Grandma Frendo and Grandma Panunzio. She did that so often that she was uh, embraced by Grandma Panunzio, who did not embrace a whole lot of people. Um, she's a great lady, and uh, Patricia was extraordinarily loyal and helpful. Uh, I want to make mention when I think of Patricia that one of her sisters-in-law asked her one time, or basically said to her, "You know, your your uh, brother uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't know how to fix anything. Nothing." And her response and defense, of course, was immediate. And she said, well, my brothers are intellectuals, not laborers. And that's, that's a fact. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was there when, uh, when Patricia died. I, was, uh, I just happened to be there, and I had wanted to stop by. Mike Malley and uh, his, uh, at that time, girlfriend, Megan, were sitting on the porch, and I had a few minutes with Patricia alone. And I, at that time, she was not, I didn't know how conscious she was of what everything was going on. But I said, if I've never told you this before, I'm going to tell you now, I want to thank you. I could not have done uh, working with uh, my kids without your assistance, your, your, your stalwart uh, um, loving them and, 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 and working them. Um, somebody said to me recently that uh, they thought that uh, 
Patricia was sentimental. Uh, and that may be so, but she was incredibly bright. And she was a true artist in every sense of the word. Um, if you ever had anybody do a collage for you, and if it was Patricia, it was significant. Anyhow, that's, uh, that's my thoughts on Patricia, who I, to this day, am still incredibly grateful for all she did in helping me uh, raise our children. Kathy, number six. Yes, you know, Mother's Book had some debatable pages in there that struck a hard core from several people in the family. And Patricia read one that Mom had said about me. And she said, that's it. I shut the book, and I'm not reading the rest of it. <laughs> she was loyal. And that was from her yeah. when she was sick. She was telling uh, me that. Uh, some of the neighbors, not all of the neighbors, but some of the neighbors had a television already. So we were all trying to negotiate how could we get one. We all really wanted one. So the brothers set up Patricia. And here, you know, she looked like a cherub. She really did. All the curls, her pink cheeks, and she and she was so sweet. And so they set sent her up to sit on dad's lap. And you know, play with dad's hair and and then she, they were talking and then she said dad do you think we could get a tv we got the tv like within the next 24 hours edward number seven she sure was a great mother to mike and dan she really struggled i think you know with depression which is today's world we would be much more understanding i think John Brady was her godfather, who spoiled her, I know. And we used to uh, tease her all the time. We was spared. That's one thing. Our family, there was not the ability to become a legend in your own mind too quickly. Because you, were put, you were brought to earth fairly quick. Fairly quick. Claire, number 11. Ian, Patricia, and I spent most of our time together playing outside on Iroquois and then later at Manor Road, hanging out in our bedroom and watching TV at night with popcorn and Coke. I remember in high school, Patricia was popular. She was articulate, smart, and her art was so whimsical. She was a natural leader. She was president of her class for two years in a row. Her smile was contagious, and even in high school, she was a considerable artist. She would write out E.E. E. Cummings' poems and then illustrate them. Later, as a mother, she focused on the Psalms, and the art form she preferred was block printing. She studied this at the Center for Creative Studies. Her art made visible the invisible message of the Psalms. Patricia loved her sons, Michael and Danny. The boys would spend hours playing basketball in their driveway at their house in Royal Oak. Patricia worked for Dr. Gelpin, making beautiful slides for his medical presentations. He loved her and admired her talent and her loyalty. Later, Patricia was an executive assistant to Margaret Cooney at Beaumont Hospital. Once, 
Margaret assigned Patricia to purchase artwork for her offices and department. When Patricia went to the gallery, the owner allowed her to pick a piece of art for herself that she could place in her house. Patricia was determined to buy a piece, or not buy, but pick a piece that was non-religious. I really admired the piece in her home. When Patricia was sick, Dr. Galpin came to visit her, bringing her a big bouquet of flowers. He admired this piece of art sitting over Patricia's head on the couch and said, that is a beautiful cross. When she told me this, we giggled. Sure enough, it was abstract, but definitely a cross. Patricia gasped and said to me, you just can't get away from it. I can't speak how Anne and Patricia felt about the expectations our parents and our family had growing up, but I really felt I never could do or give enough. Christopher, number 12. Well, Patricia, you know, growing up, I remember when we were really young, we tangled. As a result, <laughs> I got an unplanned trip to Oswego. So I think it might have been a day or two before mom and dad were heading to Oswego and it was uh, so off I went. I could tell she had a very sweet relationship with Brian. Uh, in fact, on my desk uh, at home, I have the loveliest picture of the two of them sitting close oh, uh, to yeah. each other in the fenced in part of the backyard at Manor Road with Brian's arm around her. Uh, you know, that gesture and their facial expression speaks, you know, volumes about their love for one another. Patricia and I did get close in later years, especially when, um, when she became a single parent. Uh, she and the boys visited our home in Tennessee, and we had so much fun, strawberry picking and watching our boys play basketball and going out on the lake. And then on business trips to Detroit, I would join her at Mike and Danny's uh, sporting events. When she was in chemotherapy, uh, we got together, and she always insisted, you know, come to her house, and we'd have dinner, and, and we, we did when I was making trips uh, to Michigan. And she was a really gifted artist. Mm. You know, and we bonded over art. She invited me to her art class at the Center for Creative Studies. At that time, I was involved in graphic arts, uh, technology, oh, uh, a venture uh, that I, I got into an imaging technology. And so she invited me, knowing that, she invited me to, to see the work that she was doing at the uh, CCA. You know, she was a sensitive soul, beautiful eyes, and her laughter. It was a full body experience. <laughs> she true. would literally laugh and, and physically from head to toe. Yeah. <laughs> she was she would just laugh so heartily, you know. It, it really was a contagious laugh. And she was deeply spiritual. I, I remember she would often make references to the songs. Mm -hmm. I mean she and she would incorporate that in her art. Her art, mm -hmm. a lot of it. So she was the real deal when it came to just the I think the embodiment of the spirituality. And then I'll never forget Claire telling me that when the two of them left Patricia's appointment with her oncologist, the one in which she learned it was time to make arrangements with hospice, Patricia's last words to Claire, it's all about love. And as with Anne, I just wish I had done more for her. And I, I should have known that her divorce was a, a source of financial uh, distress. 
and um, well, I, oh, I helped a little. I just wish I could have. I, I could have done more. Kevin, number thirteen. When Patricia was in hospice at her son's home in Royal Oak, I paid her a visit, and I asked her if she wanted to hear a song. She said yes, and one on one, I was able to sing uh, "Danny Boy" uh, to her, and she seemed appreciative. Well, the next day, Claire heard about it and asked Patricia if she would like her to sing a song. And Patricia said, no thanks. It was Mother's Day after the death of my sister Patricia. I visited Greenwood Cemetery and paid a visit to Mom and Dad and then went over to Patricia's gravesite where I saw an envelope on her tombstone. And it wasn't addressed to anybody. So I picked it up and I looked inside and it was her son's report card from school. He had finished school and had left that on her gravesite. Very special. Every year at the Callahan Irish Party, there was this auction for items and Patricia had some drawings that she did. I had a good friend and customer, Steve Schulte, who bought some every year. Well, after Patricia passed away, I called Steve and said I needed to come over to see him and talk about acquiring some of those paintings. And there might be some drinking and fisticuffs involved for that transaction. So I went over and saw her paintings at the house, her drawings, and they were just beautiful. And, and he offered for me to take any of them or all of them. And I said, no, Steve, these are just where they should be. They're in a home, and they're well-loved, and they're well-placed. Mary, number 14. What I remember most about Patricia is that she always held her own. There was a fierceness about her. I remember she could always stand up to our older brothers. She was not afraid. She was strong. I love the quote, the title of this podcast, Nothing is More Artistic Than to Love, because Patricia was a great artist, but she unabashedly loved. Joseph, number 15. Patricia, now, uh, she was always fun. Mm -hmm. uh, we were kind of rivals in some sense. You, you, know. you were feisty with each yeah, other. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, I was, uh, especially I liked her and her kids. And, um, it was, uh, that was tough. Um, no, nothing tougher than for her. But she had a hard go of it, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, back to what you just said, it's hard to uh, conceive that... Uh, a loving God would... Yeah. Siblings in heaven, it's true. Yeah. I can't, you know, Yeah. all of us maybe, a little time in purgatory maybe, but um, no, they're, all of them are in the, yeah, they're house, in the house of the Lord. Teresa, number 16. Patricia, she was just a, you know, great artist and so strong and resourceful. Like no matter what she was going after, whether she's being a mom or she would learn all the things about um, parenting and 
she, she really educated herself on many things that that mattered. And um, she was a wonderful mother, wonderful mother, and a great wife. Yeah, I really loved her ability and art, and she was a lot of fun. She was always a lot of fun. Yeah. Bridget, number 18. Patricia, uh, that's a tough one. Um, she's totally like, she's my mother figure. Uh, talk to her every day. Um, if I had any question about anything in life, she taught me, I remember after having Johnny, she said, motherhood is, uh, is a very lonely job. And nobody ever told me that. And I went, oh, because I did feel lonely. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. She helped me and encouraged me every day. First time I ever left Johnny, um, my brother and sister-in-law got married in Columbus and Patricia took Johnny. And I was it was so hard to leave him. I think he was like six weeks old. And she wrote like a 20-page legal pad of everything he did. Her being a fabulous mother, those boys were the world to her um, from artwork as babies and walks and playgrounds to football games and basketball games and baseball games, going to every single one of them. Her artwork, her spending a little bit of time, as you know, she didn't have much time between working full time and two little boys, and her artwork, which was her real passion. And I got every original one of her pictures she gave me. Um, she came out to England to visit me when I lived there. Again, always looking out for others. She saw always the good in people. And she just loved being a mom. She adored those two boys, that's for sure. Again, being with her when she passed, um, same thing, you know. Uh, getting her into that apartment and then back into Mike and Megan's home. Again, I think it was the best scenario for her that, you know, she had around-the-clock care with between her children and her siblings. Going on walks with her, uh, Tiger Games. Even, even when she was sick, John got, uh, she said, I really want to go to Comerica Park. It had just been built. And John got 10 tickets. And I don't remember what all 10 of us went. We got her to Comerica Park to a game. Fun. That was really fun. Yeah, she loved that. But, you know, she was... An unbelievable uh, sister for me, for sure. Miss her desperately. She was a good girl. In Patricia's funeral liturgy program, there is the following prayer that she loved. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing frighten you. All things are passing away. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Whoever has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices. St. Teresa of Avila But when you come and all the flowers are dying, If I am dead, as dead I well may be, You'll come and find the place where I am lying, and kneel and say an Ave there for me. And I will hear how 
soft you tread above me, and all my grave will warmer, sweeter be. For you will bend and tell me that you love me, and I shall sleep in peace. Until you come to me. Eternal be her memory. Please go to 1of18notjustanumber.com and enjoy the images which accompany this and every podcast. Or just click on the link provided in the description of this episode. Our next podcast, number nine, we will introduce you to Claire Francis, number 11, Christopher Thomas, number 12, and Kevin Martin, number 13.